Father, as we turn to your word, we turn not only our ears but our hearts to you. We acknowledge that our need, Lord, is not for more information, but how desperately we need to be transformed. We need to be made more like you. So, Lord, would you transform us, renew our minds? Would you sift the soil of our hearts? Would you reveal to us every way, as David prayed, that is not pleasing in your sight? We want to be a people who live boldly for you, who declare and proclaim the matchless mercy of our King. So, Spirit of the living God, come and resonate in our hearts. Let your word accomplish its purpose, I pray. May we... Love you more. May we know you more. May we walk closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. And we're bringing our series. I know we've taken some months, but we're slowly landing the plane. Maybe a few attempts. We're hoping it'll land successfully, not crash into the side of the mountain. But John has been developing this picture. It's a picture that he has proclaimed to give a people certainty in uncertain times, to give them clarity. He writes powerfully, but he writes so simply as well. And in many ways, this is where he would have us land, I believe, in this particular letter. We've talked about being armed with truth. We've been talked about being armed with love and here is a theme that he ties together we've seen it before but he talks about being an overcoming people what does that mean to overcome interestingly we've begun the service and i didn't prep nikki as she read the scripture she read from romans 8 talking about the reality that we are in all these things in the midst of horrible stuff persecution and famine and in all these things we are more than conquerors Super victorious is a literal translation. We are overcomers. And yet, at times, it doesn't take much to unsettle us. I had a little moment this week, a little aside again before we get into the scripture. Stopping out of my car, I think it was Friday, Friday morning. I topped up my sermon. I was all ready to go. It was on my iPad. And I grabbed my bag from the back seat. Ever done this before? And you didn't realize your bag was not done up properly. And as you pull it out, everything falls on the ground. And there was my iPad. It's not brand new. It's two, two years old. It hits the concrete and it just, the screen smashes everywhere. Ever had that feeling? Can I assure you the first thing that came to mind was praise the Lord for your faithfulness and your goodness. That's the way all pastors respond. Of course, of course. There's something about those moments that reveals what's in our heart, isn't there? Something about those moments that really, let's move on from that. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So what I love about John's writing is he's so simple and he's so clear. And the story begins with his great gift of salvation. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. We simply believed we responded to his invitation, and as a result of our belief, we are born again. Before there was a sinner on earth, there was a Savior in heaven, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
And he continues, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born by him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. One translation says, This is how we know we are his children, when there's a passionate love for God and a great desire to do what pleases him. And it is Father's Day, isn't it? Today, we remember not only our human fathers, but this incredible reality that God has revealed himself as our perfect heavenly father. My favorite expression in the whole of the creation story is in Genesis 2. As it says, God formed man, but then he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. As Adam first has this awareness of consciousness as he awakes, his first sight is his father, Father God, the one who breathed life into him. This is the God that we worship. He's not an unknowable God. He's not a distant God. But he is a God who has revealed himself as a father of passionate love for his children. And we're made for that experience and that encounter. And that gives context to this next verse. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, often religion is burdensome. Religion in the sense of, all the extra things that we like to add onto how we are to love God. The Pharisees had 613 extra rules and traditions and requirements heaped upon people as baggage. But John is saying the commands of God are not burdensome. In fact, Jesus said, I came to give you life. I came to set you free. I came to bring freedom, to give you life more abundantly. We, we have... Um, all of our kids have loved riding bikes. And there was this one bike that we bought for one of our girls at one stage. It was a great bike. And it had this strange feature where you could actually turn the handlebars around 180 degrees. And they looked exactly the same whether they were facing, facing forward or facing backwards, except for one different difference. As you twisted them around, it clamped the brakes on. So it made it incredibly difficult to ride this bike. And so often my little girl, she'd hop on this bike and she was determined and she persevered, and she would push through to a point. And then all of a sudden, she'd get frustrated and throw the bike down. So the bike is rubbish. The bike is no good. And I'd say to her, sweetheart, here's the truth you need to realize. If it feels like hard work, then something's wrong. Then you're doing it wrong. And I would say the same as what John is saying. If it feels like there's just this burden of religion upon you, then something is wrong. You're not living from victory. You're not living from love. You're living for love and for acceptance and for approval. But this is the glorious gift that we have, this gift of relationship. It's not hard for me to love my kids. It just comes naturally. It's an effort at times. It's costly at times, but it's not hard. It's not burdensome. It's just who I am. It shouldn't be hard to love the God who saved me and rescued me and redeemed me. That's the most natural thing. It's, it, it'll, it'll cost at times. It'll require effort, but it's certainly not burdensome and hard. And here we get to really what John is setting up here. Verse 4, it says this. John writes, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And again in verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He's re-emphasizing the point. Here's the point. Here's the truth. He's saying if you believe in Jesus, you are born again. If you are born again, then you are an overcomer. Then you are overcoming. So we talked about this reality of a life, as I said, that's armed with truth, recognizing the importance of truth, that's armed with love. Last time we talked about fearless, bold living. And here is a picture that he says twice. This is what you are to remember, that you are called to be. If you believe in Jesus, you're born again. If you're born again, then you are called to overcome. You are an overcomer. I thought there might be a little more exciting excitement. Some excitement. Why don't you find someone next to you and say, you are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. And then you can, re you, you can respond to the person who said that and say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? A victor, not victim. Very good, Dirk. Very good. So we are overcomers, but what does John mean? Well, let's start with the definition. To overcome literally means to subdue, to conquer, to come away victorious, or to win the prize. It's the literal definition of the word. To overcome, to subdue, to conquer, to come away victorious, to win the prize. The picture is someone standing at the end of the race, the event, the Olympics, holding the victor's crown. I have overcome, I've conquered, I've come away victorious. So honestly, you don't need to, you can figuratively give me a show of hands, but if you examine your own life, how many of you would say, well, yep, that's me. That is me, write it on my tombstone. That defines my life. That is the word. And if not, why not? See, sometimes, you know, there's many wonderful terms in Scripture to describe who we are in Christ. We've talked about already the fact that we're His children, that He loves us. We've talked already this morning about the fact that we're saved, that we're saints, we're the redeemed of the Lord. And sometimes we're far more comfortable with those titles, aren't we, than an overcomer. I'm a conqueror. And yet this is a term that I believe it's a wonderful description of who we are. And it needs to be defined in our minds and our hearts. And in fact, I would su suggest this. If we can grasp this, then it really changes the way that we view circumstances. It changes the way that we view our mission and our purpose on this earth. That we are put on this planet to overcome. So this has great implications, and I'm hoping that we can grasp at least some of the realities for us, because I guarantee if we can, it will make a difference for us. Are you ready? So number one, there's just three realities that I want to encourage us about overcomers. So overcomers live with purpose. This word, it speaks of a purpose. It speaks of a race that has been run successfully. It speaks of that moment when you stand up having achieved the crown. It speaks of a reality that our lives are not accidental. We're not on the, put on this planet just to figure out our own way. Do whatever you like. Just fumble around and make the most of things. We're put on here with a race, with a purpose, with a prize that can be obtained at the end of this race. It speaks of a life that's not just lived for one's own pleasure. Who knows that if you 
run, you don't just run for your pleasure. So I'm a wonderful long-distance runner for at least 400 meters. Any longer than that, and it just gets miserable. Because up until that point, I'm actually enjoying the experience. Any longer than 400 meters. And I've got to remember, and Catherine, one of our pastors, she's running 17 Ks, 20 Ks. We'll move on. Struggling with envy and jealousy. I just don't have that kind of commitment and perseverance. But overcomers do. Overcomers, they recognize that there's a purpose. There's a race. That we're here with a particular for a reason with a purpose in mind so it's not accidental it's not just for our own pleasure and indulgence and it's not just to live in defeat have you met christians who just seem to live from defeat to defeat well i've just discovered my mission in life is to be miserable it's just to walk from problem to problem and if there's no problems i'll find my own big problem just to sit in the middle of that's not this picture that john's giving us either he's saying no you're here to be an overcomer that actually means you Overcome. You overcome. You see, the reality is, as you read Scripture, is that everything God ever created, He created on purpose, with purpose. That's the story of creation. Your life has been created, has been planned before the foundation of the world, on purpose, for a purpose. Right from the beginning, if you look at creation, we discussed this in our home group the past week looking at the, the creation of Adam and Eve and it just kind of grabbed me one of those things I'd seen before but here is perfection God's made this beautiful garden he's given Adam and Eve everything that they could possibly want and so you'd think the next statement would be so therefore just go and enjoy it set up a hammock pour yourself a pina colada put your feet up and just make sure you're, you're just really enjoying it but instead of that, he doesn't say go and live for your pleasure. He gives them a purpose. He says be fruitful and multiply, have dominion and subdue the earth. See, he gives them a purpose. Even in the midst of perfection, he says, no, there's something in the heart of humanity that, that longs, that needs a purpose. We're created not to be purposeless. We're created to live passionately with a purpose. And that makes all the difference. It really does. If we recognize, if we come back to this place where we're like, my life has a purpose. My life has meaning. My life has a mission. I'm someone, I love to go to the gym. And to be honest, most of the work I do at a gym is, is more weights and that side of things. And occasionally I'll jump on a, a cardio machine. But I really have this thing about treadmills. Does anyone love treadmills? I mean, I, I enjoy running, as I said, for 400 meters. There's a few treadmill lovers, only two. You're a little cautious. What's he going to say about treadmills? But I, I just have this thing about treadmills. I hop on there, and if I'm running, I'm enjoying the scenery. But if I'm on a treadmill, I'm stressing out. Like it's this narrow little thing, and you can't go too far forward and too far back. But the thing that bugs me most about, most about treadmills is that I'm sitting there, I'm working my butt off, I'm sweating away, and I open my eyes, and guess what's happened? Absolutely nothing. I haven't gone anywhere. What a complete waste of my energy. And I have that thought. Maybe you have that thought. I'm like, I could be anywhere in the world. I could be climbing up a mountain. I could be doing something productive. And I'm like a little hamster on a wheel. Just round, round, round. What a waste of time. And so I don't do well on treadmills. Again, if I do 400 meters, 
I'm doing well. Two minutes. If there's no incentive, what's the point? You see, we run differently and we live differently when we recognize that we're not just a hamster on a wheel, a sweaty, smelly gym just stuck there with no purpose. We're running a race that has a point and there's a prize. And we've got to run with that kind of purpose. See, so often I hear this current generation termed the apathetic generation. The bad generation, like we don't, we don't care, whatever, anything goes. I actually think part of that is true, but partly there is a reality that this generation, I believe, we do care. In fact, I think we're made as humans to care. We're made to find our purpose. It's just that we care for so much that we've forgotten what it is that we're supposed to care about even within the church, certainly within the world. I don't know if you've ever had these kind of conversations with your friends, but I love to ask people some deeper questions. I won't look at them, but I was, I was having a conversation just this morning with some new people here, and I said, boy, you ask a lot of questions. I'm like, sorry, I'm just trying to get to know you. But I like to ask questions. And this week, ask someone that you know, that you're friendly enough with, say, you know, what, what is your purpose in life? What's your purpose in life? And I found that it's very few people who can give you a succinct answer. There is. Christians or non-Christians, they say, well, I'm not really sure. If they're Christians, maybe there's some spiritual ease there about what I'm called to do. If they're not, maybe it's, well, I'm just here to improve the planet and you know, leave a mark. And... But see, I've seen this, let's call it a, d- a disease. I don't think it's so much an apathetic generation. I think it is a purposeless generation. And if I'm honest, so often I can be in that place. There's so many things out there that I could care about. I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed and there's something that really should be impacting me. And it does for about 10 seconds. And then I flick down and notice a cute cat in the cartoon and have a laugh and move on. It's kind of like there's so many things that we've, we've lost this sense of actually, no, no, there, there is, there's a purpose in my life. And because we've lost that sense of purpose, we've become purposeless. And that's what John is reminding us here. He's built this case throughout this book, and he's here saying, remember this, you are put on this planet to overcome. To run the race, to stand there upon the podium to receive your crown. The enemies are real. The battle is all around us and you cannot afford to be apathetic. Why is it, God, that there's so many things going on around me and all I can care about is my iPad that's smashed on the ground? That's the thing that drives me. All I can care about is where to get a decent coffee Here we are, a good Samaritan, the parable, someone dying by the road, and I'm just worried about getting to lunch. You know, what if I'm five minutes later to lunch, my hamburger's going to be cold? Like, what, what, what has happened, God? Why are we so apathetic? Why are we so purposeless? Why have we lost this sense of running with purpose and vision? It's not a profound thought, but this is the reality, that we are moved, we will be motivated, we'll be driven by what moves us. So what is it that's capturing your attention? Every life is driven by something. What is it that your life is driven by? Is it guilt? Is it worry? 
Is it concerns? Is it where to get your next coffee from? Is it the problems that are real and palatable around us? Or is it a divine purpose? Is it running the race marked out for me with a passion that I'd stand upon the victor's crowd and proclaim that I am an overcomer? To know God is to know that we are here for a purpose. So this thing of, of being an overcomer, it speaks of a purpose. It also speaks of a process, or if you like this better, it speaks of power. Let me explain what I mean. It speaks of a power to overcome. You see, to overcome requires some overcoming. Most of us would say, well, yes, we can live with a purpose. Thank you. Preach it, brother. Most of us would say, I want to be an overcomer. Hopefully all of us. The problem is that not many of us actually want to have anything that we need to overcome. We want to overcome in the absence of overcoming. And that presents a bit of a difficulty. Verse 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And in fact, this is the present tense. So what John's really saying is that if you're born of God, you are continually overcoming the world. This is very important. There's a sense in which it's permanent, but it's also ongoing. And I want us to recognize what this picture of overcoming really looks like. Because sometimes if I was to ask you to give me a picture of an overcomer, what is it that an overcomer looks like? What do you think? What marks an overcomer? Many of us would perhaps go to things like, well, someone who is famous, someone who's influential, someone who's wealthy, prosperity, you know, they've done amazing things. Well, this encouragement is coming from the Apostle John. And John's writing this at the end of his life. And he's not sitting in his $100 million luxury yacht. He's not dressed in his premium Armani suit, thousands of dollars tailor-made. He's not looking back on a life of comfort with his arsenal of private jets that have flown him all over the planet. This is the Apostle John, John who had seen all of his closest friends, all the other apostles crucified, beaten, beheaded, sent to the lions. He'd lived through the rule of Nero. He'd seen perhaps many of his friends set alight, burnt, tortured, killed, people all around him who literally had given everything for the gospel. This is John who himself had been boiled alive. He'd been beaten. He'd been in prison. When they couldn't kill him, they banished him off to the Isle of Patmos. This is John who has seen some stuff. Like he's lived a life. This is not a life of luxury and wealth and success and indulgence. I mean, he's seen some trials. He's seen some problems. And he proclaims, here's what I've realized. We are born to overcome. How, how does that work in your picture of overcoming? What is it that John is saying an overcomer actually looks like? Well, first of all, overcomers don't live in a bubble removed from stuff. When I come to church and say, well, you know, I'm an overcomer because I've got no problems. Overcomers are aware of the problems. We've got to be a people who recognize that it's a fallen planet. There's brokenness. There's brokenness in here. We're real. Man, I'm struggling. I've got some issues. There are problems all around us. 
But the problems aren't where we camp out because we also remember there is a power. There is a power. See, there is a context all around us, but we have a calling. There may be issues, but the issues are not our identity. There's plenty of problems, but we're living with a purpose. Think of this, John 16.33, Jesus proclaims, Take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he goes and hangs on a cross and dies. What sort of overcoming is that? I'm overcoming the world and then he dies. And not in a pleasant way, he hangs on a cross in a garbage dump outside Jerusalem, a place filled with the stench of death. Wild animals hanging around for whatever they can get, the leftovers. How on earth is it that he can proclaim that he is to overcome? Because he was aware of the problems and the process. But he was aware of a greater power. He knew that greater was the power of God, that the grave would be empty. You see, overcoming and God still does his greatest works in the places of greatest darkness. In the places of greatest despair. There'll be battles, we'll fall along the way. We'll be victims of different things as this life unfolds. We may lose some skirmishes, but the war has been won. The victory is ours and we can never lose. That's the reality that John's talking about. I've been through some stuff. I've seen it all happen. And this is what I can proclaim to you. I'm an overcomer. We can be overcomers because there's a power that's greater than anything in this world that we could possibly face. Revelation 12, it describes this people. It says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame, they recognized where their power came from. There was problems, but they overcame by the power of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. See, how often do we have this focus, and I can be guilty of this too. In conversations, I hear it often, we say, oh, well, circumstances are tough, and they might be. And the enemy's just having a field day. You know, I'm just racked with this stuff and I'm racked with that. And you know, The problems are, are real. We don't want to deny the problems. But my question is, where is the power of God in the midst of those problems? We overcome by his blood, the blood that he shed, but by the word of our testimony. What's the word of your testimony? Is it, well, the enemy's having a field day? Is it, well, the problems are so great? Or is it, here's the word of my testimony. My God is able. My God is powerful. His blood has been shed and there's no sickness and there's no disease and there's no trials and there's no tribulations that are greater than his power at work in me. And so therefore, I'm proclaiming that I am an overcomer. I will overcome the power of his blood and the word of our testimony. What is the word of your testimony? Let me just uh, bring this to a close. There's one more aspect of this I want to touch on. So this picture of, of overcoming is a picture of a people living with purpose. 
It's a picture of a people who recognize the process. A process of problems, but a power that's greater. And finally, an overcomer, a people who hold on to the promises. Let's have a look back here at the scripture. It says this, second part of verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now literally he's saying this is the means of our victory. This is the way it works. If you're wondering, well, how does this all work? This is what John is saying. This is the means to overcome the means of our victory is that we would live by faith. See, faith is this recognition. It's realizing that God is faithful to all that he has promised. Faith is not the means as sometimes is preached for us to live for our pleasure. By faith, I can believe for whatever I want. Faith is the means by which I can live for his purpose, for his promise. Faith is the only thing that reaches beyond myself to grab a hold of what he has for me. Look at, at Hebrews. It says, by faith, by faith, Abraham received that which was impossible. He reached beyond what was possible to grab a hold of what God was saying. He walked out God's promise and by faith he obeyed. And saw the fulfillment. By faith Moses led the people through the sea. By faith we understand. We worship. We draw near. By faith kingdoms are conquered. By faith justice is enforced. By faith nations are defeated. See this is what an overcomer says and does. That my life has purpose. That there's problems. But I'm hanging on to the power. And I'm going to live this life by grabbing a hold of his promise. What is it that God is saying to me? Generally. I mean, his word is full of promises. What promises are you grabbing a hold of in your life as an overcomer? He's promised to be my shepherd. He's promised to lead me. He's promised to guide me. He's promised to pre prepare a table. The presence of my enemies. He's promised to be there to guide me, and I'm grabbing a hold of that. But specifically, what is God saying to you? We cannot leave, live a life of overcoming, of living out his purpose, unless we grab a hold of what he is saying. What is he saying to us as a church? What is he saying to you personally? What is the word of God for you in this season of your life? And so many of us, this is where I want to encourage you, so many of us I've heard over the years have said to me, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm on this planet. Let me encourage you. The word says that without a vision or a purpose or a mission, the people perish. We need to have a mission. We need to have a purpose. What is it that God's calling you to do? And it might be for this season that you're to raise kids. Well, seek God and get a hold of his words and then raise your kids for the glory of God. With all the passion to see them be world changers. It may be that your purpose, that God says, well, your purpose is to work as an accountant. Who would have thought? Well, do that for the glory of God. Serve him and worship him in what you have to do. It may be that you're to contend for breakthrough in your own life personally, in the, life, in, in, in the midst of our city. What is it that God is saying to you? What is it that he is saying to us? See, this is the picture of an overcomer. It's the people who live with purpose, who aren't just apathetic, who aren't purposeless, who allow God to stir our hearts. 
Not just moved by all other things, but God, what is it that you're saying? Recognizing that it's not going to be easy. There's going to be problems. But we live in the power of the resurrected Savior. And we grab a hold of his promise. Now, by faith. You see, that, that whole hall of faith that's presented in the book of Hebrews, that's not just a nice picture to remind us of what God once did. Now, by faith, these people did incredible things 4,000 years ago, 3,000, 2,000, but God doesn't do that anymore. Now, that's a reminder of the reality of who God is now. That's the invitation to each one of us here. By faith, what? What is God saying to you? By faith, Adam. By faith, what? By faith, Peter. By faith, each and every one of us. He invites us into that. By faith, we're called to overcome. But we've got to remember the purpose. We've got to rely upon his power. And we've got to grab a hold of his promise. Now, in this season, what is God saying to you? And let's run with passion the race that is laid before us. Let's pray. Is there someone who can come and play? Just invite you to close your eyes. As always, this morning there is this prayer available for anyone if you've come with different prayer needs. Just as a privilege as we conclude our services to just invite the Lord to do whatever he wants to do in our hearts and lives. So if he's leading you in any way, it could be related to the message, it could be about something else. And there's an opportunity for you to respond. And I always think this is the, uh, maybe not the most, but one of the most important moments of the whole time that we gather with the Lord. We gather to worship Him, we gather to honor Him, we gather to exalt Him. But we gather to respond to what He is saying. And this should never be, and I pray it never is, a moment where we come just to hear a message. But we come intentionally to hear what the Lord is saying to us and to respond as He speaks. And so, Father, I pray as we just conclude our time, would you come and speak to the hearts of your sons and daughters? Lord, I thank you that the Apostle John lived such a, an incredible life, a witness to you. He ran the race well. He fought the good fight. And he gives us this challenge, each and every one of us here, that we are called, if we believe in Jesus and we're born again, then we are called to overcome. We're not called to live without purpose. We're not called to live just for our own pleasure. We're not called to live from problem to problem. Problems are certainly the context, but they're not our calling. But Lord, we are called to live victoriously for you. That while we have breath in our lungs, there is a purpose, there's a mission to live to see you glorified. And I pray that we would be a people whose faith is stirred up to believe 
and to step forward into what you're saying for us, each and every one of us now. And I particularly want to pray, Lord, for anybody here, perhaps many of us, and if we're honest, we would say that we are feeling apathetic, that we're feeling purposeless. Like, God, I just don't know. And I pray that this would be a moment where you speak your life. Just breathe your life and reveal again what your will is. And I, I had a picture just during the worship, actually. I didn't share it earlier, but just with your eyes closed, this might speak to someone, some of us this morning. But you know, we're, we're in a new season, spring, praise the Lord. All seasons are wonderful, but spring and summer are definitely the more anointed seasons. And obviously we've had some rain this week and just in the midst of, you know, surrounds that are very dry, very brown, there's just these bursts of life, just this color coming through. What seemed to be dead, what seemed to be just forsaken, forgotten, all of a sudden there's just life. And I have that sense that, as I said, for some of us, for maybe many of us, that you're looking at your life and you're thinking, God, it's, <laughs> there's nothing there. It's dead. It's forsaken wilderness. There's, there's nothing there. And I believe this morning that God wants to just, just breathe His breath of life, that what looked like it was dead, all of a sudden, there it is. There it is. There's your passion. There's... You're calling this your purpose. That that which was dead all of a sudden has just been brought back to life. If that's you in particular, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Just that that would be the reality. So Father, we're just so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful we can gather, we can worship you, we can honor you. With our songs, with our lives, with our offerings. And I pray now that you would by your grace, enable us to just respond to you in whatever way you would lead us to do. We don't want to be a passive people. We want to be a passionate people. We pursue you with everything within us. Amen.